Okay, well, um, Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 is where we're going to find ourselves here this morning. Some of you may have looked on the front of the bulletin and been like, what is that amoeba thing that I'm looking at? It may have taken you just a moment to try to figure out what, what are you looking at? And you're looking at a fishing boat with a net. Um, and some of that net you can see that's under the water there. And you can see the part that has the floats. And um, it's a very, it, it's an image that takes you just a second. Just kind of look at it and go, well, what am I, what am I looking at here? But we're going to talk about fishing a little bit uh, this morning. Some of you are like, great, I could be fishing right now. And instead I'm here. No, <laughs> it's a beautiful day. I'm sure it'll be beautiful after we're done with church today. You can go fishing then. However, I think there's something very important that God wants to speak to us through his word this morning. So how about we pray and then we're going to jump right into God's word in Matthew 13. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Your word is open before us. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you greeted us this morning as we woke up. You created this beautiful day. You're the one that allows the sun to rise and for us to feel its warmth. You're the one that has made all of this possible. And we want to ask you to speak to us. With your word open, we pray that what we need to hear from you, we would hear from you today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower me to do the work of the ministry, that it would be your words and not my words, and that these words would draw each of us, myself included, closer to you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, great. A light message today is what we're looking at. As we've been studying through here, chapter 13 of Matthew is Jesus speaking in parables. So far in the entire gospel of Matthew, he hasn't spoken in parables. Then we hit the 13th chapter of Matthew and it's been parable after parable after parable. And here as we read this parable... It's interesting because Jesus has been talking about a lot of things. He's been talking about um, some agricultural things, a person sowing seeds. Um, he's talked about uh, different uh, parables, but then he comes to a parable that kind of fits the setting of where he's at. And if you're going, what do you mean? In the very beginning of Matthew 13, Matthew 13 verses 1 through 3, just so you know the scene by which Jesus is sharing these parables, it says, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee, the lake. And great crowds gathered around him, so he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. And then he told the first one, saying, a sower went out to sow. So the scene there is Jesus sitting on a boat, the listeners on the shore, and he's speaking to them. And in that scene, he starts saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea. And so this one really like the imagery, it's all there. People don't even have to like think about what's going on. They're right there 
where these events would have happened. And the thing with this, um, these parables, the parables contain the truth of God, but they're packaged in such a way that they can easily be concealed. By telling the truth of God in a story, it conceals it from people whose hearts are not lined up with God. Someone whose heart is resistant to God will just go, oh, he just told a fishing story. And they won't get anything else out of it. They'll just kind of read it and go, oh yeah, yeah, it's just a net thrown in the sea and gets fish. That's great. And it's almost like they'll miss the explanation given in verse 49 and 50 about how it's going to be this way at the end of the age. Have you ever wondered how interesting it is that two people can hear the exact same message and then when asked what they heard, when they describe it, it's like, did you hear the same thing I heard? You know, it happens whenever the word of God is shared. The exact same words are spoken and yet two people who might even be sitting right next to each other can walk away thinking they heard two different things. I only have to take you to Easter Sunday last week. There were a lot of folks that came up afterwards or spoke during the week and mentioned, you know, that it was a blessing. And, you know, it was one of those, it was one of those messages where um, the enemy was really attacking during the week. And it had just been like one of those weeks where you're just like, ah, and the Lord made it really clear to me. He said, Jim, whatever things are going on in your life right now are infinitesimally small compared to the importance of what you need to share on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So don't focus on the challenges that are coming in your life now. Focus on what I have already done and we will speak about for all of eternity. And so, you know what I did? I just doubled down and said, all right, let's go for it then. Let's do this thing. And so I went for it. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but I was enthusiastic on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And here's why, because the enemy attacked. And when the enemy attacks, we have this choice. We have a choice to go, oh no, like I, oh, I've just got these challenges. Or you can just go, hey, thanks for telling me what I'm doing right. I'm going to double down on that now. Thank you. The enemy can't handle it. Like he, he can't handle, but tell us like what is working. And you know why? He attacks. He doesn't attack some dead fish floating downstream. He attacks the live one that is working upstream. That's going, hey, I'm going to fight the current of this world and we're just going to go for it. So if you're experiencing the challenges of the enemy, I just want to encourage you, double down because you're going in the right direction. Keep going. And so Friday, uh, Friday, Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday, I just went for it. In fact, Easter Sunday kind of started out not like your, that's what I got. I got some feedback that was like, not kind of, not your typical Easter Sunday message. Especially when I started talking about who isn't celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, some of the feedback I got back was, that was great. That's what I needed to hear. I was just having a conversation with somebody about that. And they talked about how, you know, Christians believe the same thing as everyone else. It's just all different ways to get to the same God. No, not true. I was pretty passionate about why that's not true. Because we talked about all the people who aren't celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I talked about how the founders of other religions, they're dead. But Jesus, his tomb is empty. And we believe in a risen savior. The founder of Christianity is not dead, unlike every other religion. Now, for the believer, they're just like, that's so encouraging. That's right. I forgot that. That's true. Awesome. However, I also got feedback that that message was not fair 
and not politically correct. Now, while I may agree with the second one, I, which is fine. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I, that's all right, because that, that's not the basis from which we share the word of God. But the first one, no, it was fair. It was totally fair. Because all I did was what you would hear in a comparative religions class, where you look at the column that says, where's the founder now? And then you have, you know, Buddhism, Christianity, Jehovah's Witness. You kind of go down the list. You just go down the column there. Dead, 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 dead. Christianity, body not found. Yeah, body not found. Alive. All I did was just list some facts. And in fact, it's not offensive to the people who believe those other religions. Here's why. They know their founders are dead because they have memorials and tombs for them. These are facts. But the same word can go out and people can hear it differently. And so there was things that, you know, phrases like the rhetoric you shared. I was like, rhetoric? Okay. The rhetoric you shared must be taken back. You are a divider. Oh yeah, it was, it was what, in fact, after I left Sunday, it was about a good half hour. I was just down after Sunday morning. Because, no, 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 you don't feel bad for me. No, no, no. I just, I just want you to know, like, this is the reality, though, because I know you face it as well. Maybe not in this arena of teaching, of sharing and teaching the Word of God publicly, but you should, yeah, I know you experience it too, where you're just like, Lord, you're so good, and there's this awesome moment, and then, like, something comes in, it's like, oh, it kind of deflates you. I just want to encourage you, think about the abundance of blessings that God has blessed you with, and think about the abundance of goodness that God has shown you in your life. Yes, there will be challenges. You don't want to ignore them as if they haven't happened. You want to acknowledge that they happened, but you don't want to dwell on it. And so as I kind of looked at that, I even, you know, was like, okay, what do I need to do with this information right now? And, you know, there's things in there like you're a divider. And I just remember, you know, Jesus going, you think I came here for peace? I came here with a sword. Jesus also said that he would be dividing. Wait, what? Yeah, he said even divide uh, parents and children, husbands and wives. And if you're like, wait, what's going on? It's in, the, it's in the scriptures. It's actually in the Gospel of Matthew. We read it already in our studies. And why Jesus said that is what he meant was when I share the truth, when Jesus says, I am the truth, when I share it with you, it's going to divide some people because two people can hear me say the same thing, Jesus said, and one will stand on one side and go, I believe that. And another will stand on the other side and go, no way which will then cause a division between the two people. Every time the truth of God's word is shared, it divides like a sword. So you shouldn't be striving for either that when you tell the truth that it's suddenly going to bring peace. No, that depends on where people stand with the truth. And two people can hear the same truth and have completely different reactions. Why is that? We're reading it in the Gospels here. In fact, in this chapter, we read about it. Remember the sower? The sower, it's the same person throwing the same seed, except it lands on different soil. And the result of whether it grows up and is healthy or whether it gets choked out by thorns or whether uh, the soil is shallow and it's rocky, uh, you know, the, this idea here, it's all based on the heart. Jesus said that the soil has to do with the heart. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that someone as imperfect as I am can still share the truth of God's word. And the ultimate issue is not going to come down to me if I'm sharing God's word. Or God's word, the ultimate issue of whether it gets received or not is the soil of each person's heart. This is why the same message can be shared and one person rejoices and the other person goes baloney. 
It's not the truth that needs to be fixed. That there's nothing wrong with the truth of God's word. And there's nothing wrong with Jesus and what he's done. The issue is the heart of a person. So Jesus, as he's sharing this and he's sharing the truth packaged in this parable, he shares and he talks about a net thrown out and then he describes it at the end. And the very last phrase there in verse 50 in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you think of this, you think like hell. Wow, this is intense. Like Jesus got intense really fast. I thought he was telling a fishing story. And so people are disarmed by a story about fishing and it ends with, and there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth in this one place. And you're like, whoa, that got dark really fast. Well, it's the truth that he's sharing. If he started out with, let me tell you about a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it might have shut the ears of a bunch of people that needed to hear it. You know, this weeping and gnashing of teeth, though, this description of hell is not new, even in this chapter, even in this section of scripture with the parables. It's similar to the parable of the wheat and the tares. The destination is the result of rejecting the love of God through Jesus Christ. And again, to refresh our memory here, Matthew 13, verse 40 through 42. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Man, these words look really similar to what we were just reading. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think people have this illusion of Jesus, you know, the child that he loves the children, which he does, and he just has sheep around him. He loves sheep, but it's like, you know what you should, for somebody that just puts Jesus in that little box, hey, you should read Matthew chapter 13, verse 42 and verse 50, because Jesus twice from his own mouth says there is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus talks about hell. Because hell is a real place. It is not a construct of your mind or a figment of your imagination. At the end of each person's life, they don't just suddenly stop existing. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that those who are opposed to the message that they have become annihilated, just stop existing. How awfully convenient that is. And how completely untrue it is based on the words of the one who died and rose again. He says that there's a hell. And I think we just have to get this picture in our head. Why does Jesus talk so much about it? Because he doesn't want anyone to go there. He's warning us. He's flagging people down on the highway of life going, this road that goes this way, the bridge is out. You will die turn around and so jesus here twice does it parable after parable as he describes this we need to be um beware of those who are they're legalists in their religion and they reject the reality of hell beware of people who say that there is no hell oh it's not there's it's not real it's just a type it's a symbol a loving God would never send anyone to a real hell. That's the statement that gets made and said over and over again. 
It's because with our small minds, we can't comprehend how a loving God would allow somebody to go to hell. But yet we're, we, we don't miss the fact that a loving God sent his son to warn us over and again and again and to pay the price for those, because all of us were going there, but to pay the price for us who would want to receive eternal life through Jesus Christ, he sent his own son I think sometimes when we have this conflict with how can a loving God allow people to go to hell? Well, first, he's going to honor their free will decision. If you don't want me, then there's the alternative. If you want a place where I am not, then there's hell. A place where everything in this world that would have been joyful and good and righteous, anything that would cause you to smile, any little thing, that brings any positive thing to your life will not exist there forever. Because even the smallest thing that we may take for granted, every good and perfect thing comes from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variableness nor sign of turning. Every good thing in this life has come from God, whether a person believes it or not. And for those that at the end of their life have rejected God, and his son, Jesus Christ, they will experience a reality, a reality that is devoid of the goodness of God forever. forever. It's heavy. That's why Jesus is talking about this. Beware of the person that says, ah, it just doesn't exist. I give you some, some thoughts as to why a person might say that. One, because they don't understand how much Jesus paid for on the cross. They don't actually understand. They think I'm I'm kind of a bad person, but generally I'm a good person on the scales. I'm just kind of slightly bad. And so Jesus just kind of slightly died for me, but I can get in mostly on my good merits. I don't think you realize how much sin separated you from God. I think we when we have this low picture of the cost of what sin how much sin costs or we have a low picture of how much love God has. I think at that point we just go, ah, well, hell, like how can it be real? Don't let emotional based theology lead you in your life over fact based theology. Don't let your theology be based on how you feel because come on, our feelings are a little bit of a roller coaster. Let's be honest, but facts are facts are facts. And so we are going to look at this parable here. I mean, I only got four verses, so we're going to like really look at this parable here. And so it talks about here that the kingdom of heaven is like a net. Well, a net. There's lots of different ways to fish. Let's look at a a couple pictures here of ways that you can fish. Come on, pastor, stop it. So here it is. Out in the Maldives, this picture like just blew me away. These fishermen are using pole and line fishing and they're catching tuna in the Maldives and as opposed to using nets they're going in and catching one at a time and flicking them back in the boat and just going for it I'm just I looked at that picture I thought if I was there I would be hitting some of my friends like all of my friends would need those helmets around me because I I don't think I'd be totally skilled I think I'd be could you imagine one bad like swing back you're taking three of your friends out on the boat like they're just gone so there's pole and line fishing and I think you know 
everyone's kind of experienced or seen that, you know, put a worm on a hook or do something like that and cast in a little lake or something. This is out in the sea. Um, we've got another uh, type of fishing here. And this is one that, you know, you think about biblical ones. And it's this idea of like this net casting, casting a net weighted around the edges. And there's a string that goes, a, a line that goes to the center of that net that the person has around their wrist or hand. And as they cast the net out, they allow it to land on the water. If they do it right, it lands flat and circular. And then it starts to sink. And underneath the water, it looks like this umbrella as it starts to come down and lands on the bottom. And then they pull the line that's attached to the center and it cinches up the bottom and it hopefully there's some fish in there and then they pull them in. So this is, you know, this net casting, but this is not what Jesus is talking about. Although this did happen on the Sea of Galilee, that's not the kind of fishing that Jesus is talking about here. Let's keep looking here. This is a a historical photo from like the 1920s here. This is uh, called dragnet fishing. This is the type of fishing that Jesus was describing. And this is on the Sea of Galilee, uh, Lake Kinnisareth there in Israel. And uh, you can't tell a lot about how they're doing it, but but we'll see a few more pictures here. In fact, let's look at another one here. So, okay, we, we see that it obviously involves a net. Quite a few people also involved. And we see a little boat um, as well out there. And we'll get a couple more ideas of what this is like. If we look at the next one here, this is the dragnet. This is what the dragnet looks like. So it's like, oh, wait, it's like a strip of netting. Yeah, it's about maybe 20 feet uh, tall and 100 or more feet long. And it's, as you can clearly tell, open on the bottom. It's like, well, that's not a really good net. And fish are going to get out. Well, the top has floats, cork on the top for buoyancy and then they'd tie stones on the bottom edge of it to weigh it down so it stayed in that direction um if we look at the next picture here we'll look at a couple different types of fishing that they had on the sea of galilee so there's the cast net you know we looked at a picture of that your bulletin has one which is um it's kind of like the trammel net where a boat goes out and uh, lays out a strip but it also has a way to cinch it up from the bottom and it kind of closes the bottom of the net as it's being drawn in and it's kind of sometimes purse Purse type fishing is what it's called, but the trammel net is one that they would use on the Sea of Galilee. But that's not what we're talking about. This parable is talking about the dragnet. And the dragnet, as you see here, there's that long netting that's there and the buoyant things are keeping it floating up top and it's being pulled in. I think we've got another picture here and this is a um, one, a modern one. This is um, in England here. And you can see this same method is even used today, not very often, but it's pronounced that word right there, S-E-I-N-E, sane, sane fishing. Uh, and it comes from the Greek word sagini, which means dragnet. In fact, the word translated in your Bible, the word in Matthew there is sagini. It's the Greek word sagini, which we get the word dragnet from. But yes, even that type of fishing is still being used today. And you don't even need a boat. If you walk out far enough, you can come back. But let's look at a historic picture again from the early 1900s here on the Sea of Galilee. And you can see it. So you see how long this net is that goes out there. And obviously the further out you go, it helps to have a boat. You load the boat up with almost all the netting. You have just the end of it on the shore. And a group of people are holding that end while the boat goes out and does kind of a long, lazy, U-shaped kind of a thing and then comes back to shore. And then the other guys get off the boat and they grab it on the other side. And then everybody begins to, hence its name, drag it back into shore. Because it's weighted on the bottom, it begins to drag along the bottom and grabs everything and gathers everything into shore. 
Okay, so that's kind of the picture that we're looking at here. Now, I'm describing things to you that the listener would understand. In fact, all of the props would have been right there as Jesus is sitting on a boat sharing this parable. Everybody understands that's listening to it there what's going on. So then it says there in Matthew 13 again, it's thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind thrown into the sea. You think about it, like, what, what is this, this dragnet that's being thrown out there? It could be the gospel, the truth of God's word. It's been thrown out into the sea, into this world. And as the truth of God's word is being thrown out into this world and it begins to be pulled back towards shore, guess what? There's going to be some fish in the net. I'm one of them. You're one of them. For those that, you know, even here's a picture, this idea that there are those that get gathered into the gospel. They, get, they hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They start attending a church. They start coming and they get gathered into this net. Now, did every fish get gathered into the net? You know, the gospel, gospel got put out into the world and as the net gets pulled in, are all the fish in the sea in that net? Uh, no, it gathers some fish of every kind, but not all the fish, which means that as the gospel goes out, there's some that'll just listen to it and go, nah, no, no. No, they didn't get caught in the net of the gospel. Okay, so this net, how big of a net is it? Well, think about this. This net went from Jerusalem, Jesus, 12 disciples, and it's made it all the way to 1575 L Street on the other side of the planet in Humboldt County. It's a pretty big net. It went out far into the sea. And as it gets pulled in, you see that there's fish in the net. We're living in a day and an age where the net of the gospel has gone out further than it has ever gone out before in ways that people couldn't have even comprehended. I mean, this little church has an FM radio station broadcasting right now to, to Arcata, some of McKinleyville, and some of Eureka. But then it's an internet radio station, and that net goes out to the rest of the world. Well, Jim, not everybody has internet. You are so right. Not everybody has internet yet. You may have heard of this. A few years ago, Google started this project called Project Loon. And Project Loon is based on bringing internet to areas that have no uh, service. There's no infrastructure built for that. And so I think we may have a picture of this too. There are these huge hot air, not, not hot air, like helium type balloons designed to stay aloft for up to a hundred days at a time. And the idea of let's go to remote areas and start to put these balloons out. It's high altitude internet service. So you're out in the middle of nowhere. There's people out in the middle of nowhere that they're like, what's the internet? And all of a sudden they have a signal. They can connect. Because the message of the gospel has now gone to a medium that can be transmitted so fast and so far, the gospel net can reach so far in our lifetime. When I first became a Christian in my 20s, I remember after church, I would be like, oh, I want to hear that message. And so I would go to the, some of you know what it's going to be called. It was called the tape library. And, it's, and, and so I went to the tape library because the tape library had the cassette Cassette, that word, cassette tapes. I was born in eight tracks existed, but I never owned an eight track player. Okay, so, um, but cassettes, that's kind of where I kind of entered into things. I, it's, uh, yeah, so 
I know some of you had 8-track players in your cars too, but that's another time. Let's, so we'll go forward in time just a little bit here. So, so I went into the tape library and it'd be like, I'd, you know, look, and they had these wooden shelves that were just the right size to hold the tape. And, you know, and you, yep, and you'd kind of go in there and be like, hey, look, you know, there's Pastor Chuck's messages and my pastor, Pastor Al's messages. And you kind of go in and I'd grab a tape and be like, oh, cool. And I had a tape deck in my vehicle and I had a tape deck at home and, you know, CDs. I didn't have a CD player at that time. And so I went and got tapes from the tape library. Well, that was a message that could be heard by one person at one time. And I had to be kind and rewind it, too, so the next person didn't have to do that. And it was one physical piece of, of media and it wore out over time. And in my lifetime to see it go from that to now we're sitting in a little church on the corner of Ellen 16th Street in Arcata, California, broadcasting to the world. Live. What? What? That was just 20 years of time of my life. We went from cassettes to hot air balloons delivering internet service to parts of the world. But this is just one project from a few years ago. Next month, SpaceX, yes, that SpaceX, is going to be launching the Starlink constellation of satellites. This image is probably a little hard to see for some of you. But if you look at this, you may go, wait, that's uh, which dots are the Starlink uh, satellites? All of them. Starting next month, May, SpaceX is going to start launching the Starlink constellation. The FCC has approved satellites, these satellites, to be in low Earth orbit. How many satellites? A couple hundred? Initially, 1,600. 1,600 satellites. And the second phase, 12,000 satellites. 12,000 satellites for what? For one purpose. Global internet coverage. Global internet coverage. Where are you in? Someplace in, you know, northern Russia, Siberia, no problem. Internet link, listen to Telios Bible study. It's available. Like the net, the net has been cast far and wide. Jesus, I believe, as he sat on the shores of Galilee 2,000 years ago, he's describing a time where he knows a net is going to be cast far and wide into the sea of this world. And wow, for such a large net, net, internet, what? I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, (laughs) anyway, I mean, but you know, anyway, so for such a large net being cast, you're not going to get all the fish though. You know why? Because each fish gets to make a choice, get to make a choice. And so it's not the issue of the net and it's not the issue of, oh, didn't get a chance to hear it. God will make sure every person on this planet one way or another and doesn't require the internet will, will have an opportunity to make a decision about Jesus. Every person. Well, okay, great. So that means everybody in the net is doing well. Everything is great. Everything is positive. Well, no. See, here's the thing with the dragnet. The dragnet is indiscriminate about what gets caught in the net. Meaning, you don't really know what you're getting when you bring in the dragnet. Because if you did, you just kind of bring the dragnet in, empty the nets, and just everything goes to market and everything's fine. But no, no. What the fishermen have to do, and Jesus described it, is when it's full, the men drew it ashore, sat down, and sorted the good in containers, but threw away the bad. Because a dragnet, being indiscriminate, you don't know what you're getting. And sometimes you go, we weren't fishing for that. That's not what we're looking for here. And now if we use this picture here this parable 
of the gospel going out and people being caught up in the gospel. Not all that respond to the gospel are responding to Jesus being their Lord. And this is not a new thought here. We've seen this in the parables where you can have wheat and tares growing right next to each other. They look the same. Yeah, they look the same initially, but let them get to maturity and you'll be able to tell the difference. Remember, the wheat bows itself down in humility, but the tares stand up tall and they cha- their color changes and you can easily see the difference. And then Jesus said at that point, the reapers are going to go out and they're going to take care of those tares. And he talked about how the reapers are the angels. Well, here we are with a different picture, but I think the same thing he's talking about, it's a net with fish. And hey, look, this person's been going to church. Yeah, but going to church doesn't make somebody a believer in Christ. People can come to church for lots of different reasons. Some respond just out of emotion. They just go, I go to church and it just makes me feel good. I want to make this so clear to you. Jesus didn't die so you could feel good. I cannot stress that enough. Because if you're, if you're following Jesus because it makes you feel good exclusively, like that's the thing, that's not why he died. What happens when you don't feel good? What happens when you come to church on a Sunday and you're just like, I'm just dragging right now. Like I just, life stinks right now. My emotions are in the cellar. Yeah, but Jesus is risen and he's, he's good, right? Yes, he is. See, our faith is based on the truth. Remember, it's not emotionally based. Jesus did not die so you could feel better. Jesus did not die so that you wouldn't have any health issues in your life. Jesus did not die so that you'd have plenty of money in your bank account. Jesus did not die so that you get a great college degree and a good job. So if any of those things don't happen, that doesn't take away your faith if you're a believer. It's so important for us to understand this. Some people, they come to church because they were guilted into it. Some out of obligation. I have to come. Okay, just because you're in the net doesn't mean you're part of God's family. That's what Jesus is saying here. The net goes far and wide. It gathers some of every kind of fish, but there's still a sorting that needs to go through to see who are these people that are here. So this means that there are false brethren in the church. Again, nothing new. We've talked about this, but I want to show you this through the scriptures over and over again. I just want you to know this so that you won't be surprised when it happens. Wait, false brethren in which church? Other churches, right? Every, every Christian church. This one? Absolutely. Who are they? (laughs) Angels at the end of the age, they'll do the sorting. God's not asking you to do the sorting. They'll reveal themselves, just like the wheat and the tares. In time, it'll be clear, oh, their stripes will be shown. The sheep costume will come off. The ears and the tail will reveal itself. Galatians 2, 4 and 5. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us to slavery, to them we do not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved to you. So false brothers snuck themselves, uh, false believers came into the church trying to enslave people in legalism, in lies. And you hear Paul here going, you know what? We didn't submit to them, not even for a moment. We didn't deal with their phony baloney because we wanted the truth of the gospel to be preserved for you. 
goes on again in Acts 15.24. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. Hey, we came from this church over here and we used to attend there for years and years and now we're here and hey, we want to ask you some questions. Are you sure Jesus is the only way? I mean, there might be some other, whoa, wait, what? We've had folks come here and do that. We've had folks come and ask, hey, is Jesus the only way? It's like, wow, the gall that you would have to come in and what? They don't attend here anymore. That same person would put business cards in our prayer books, the ones that you filled out. Had to have a conversation. Listen, what are you doing here? Leave. Like, if you're going to keep doing this, this is not why we're here. You need to leave. Galatians 1.7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's their intention. Their intention is to distort God's word. Why? So that you will be enslaved. Acts 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. And here's a quote from what they were saying. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You got to be circumcised. Well, that's not true. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Now, you exchange circumcision with any other number of words and you have a modern version. That, that, by the way, that line doesn't work very well in our modern age. Hey, you got to be circumcised if you want to be saved. Like that doesn't work. But people say other things too. You know, maybe you've heard, you know, this, you know, you got you to take communion, you know, within a certain time limit. If you don't, you know, you may not be right with God. Hold on. Communion is not required for salvation. It's something Jesus said to do in remembrance of him. Yes, but it's not required for salvation. And for my Baptist friends, I love them, but baptism is not required for salvation. And all I have to do is just ask you, hey, that thief on the cross, when did he get baptized? Oh yeah, he didn't. And Jesus said, today you will be with me. Should you be baptized? Absolutely you should, because Jesus said it's a public proclamation of something that's already happened within your heart. So it's not anything against baptism. It's just baptism is not a requirement for salvation. It's not, oh, you're saved by grace plus baptism. No, you're saved by grace. You're saved by the finished work on the cross. And you know what? Paul, I love this about Paul. Like Paul got hot. Like he got hot when he heard people were trying to enslave other Christians. When he heard people were sharing lies in the church, he got hot, especially on that line about, hey, you got to get circumcised if you want to be saved. That verse right there, he's, you know, he got, he got upset at people that would say that. How much did he get upset? Look at what Paul said. I'm surprised this is in the Bible, but here it is. Galatians 5.12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. <laughs> Woo! Wow. If you don't know what emasculate is, you'll look that up later. (laughs) But this idea that it's like, they're trying to tell you that this is, you need to, I'm sure he had to, you know, ask for some forgiveness maybe after that statement there. (laughs) But it's this emotional response like, hey, stop trying to enslave people. Stop trying to come in and, and add something to the gospel of Jesus to distort the truth of God's word. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15, for such men are false apostles, 
deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise of his servants that they also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. The net will be pulled in. The net will be pulled in and a sorting will happen to see those that were and those that weren't. And when is that there's, there's that separation, the division between the good fish and the bad fish? It's this severing. It's this detachment. It's a division that's going to happen. And so, you know, we see that there and it's coming at the end of the age, at a time before Jesus comes back bodily. There's going to be some dividing or separation here as the net has been brought in. Now, it frees me up as a pastor because it's not up to me to try to figure out who in the net is or isn't. That's not my job. My job is to sow the seed. It's also your job as a Christian. You sow the seed. You share the truth of Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. Well, what about the sorting? God will take care of the sorting. He'll have his angels take care of the sorting. Well, <clears throat> what about me? Good question. And this is what, at this point, I'm in just, I'm two pages into my notes, which we have five minutes left. And so um, there's a little bit of housekeeping that I need to do. And I think this is really important. And it came up because here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that we'll get some folks that'll continually raise their hand. I've seen this over the years too with people. A salvation message is given and they'll raise their hand to ask Jesus into their heart. But the thing is, I'm like, I know that they've asked Jesus into their heart at least a good half dozen times already. And I think there's a confusion about what salvation actually is. If you're saved you're saved. If you're not saved, you're not saved. If you're saved and you sin, you're saved. Maybe it's because a person has been mistaught and they're like, well, if you've, you've sinned a lot, like a, especially a lot, a lot, which I'm going to be, I'm, you know, that's an exaggeration as I'm saying that, right? then you might need to get saved again. You know what you just did? You just cheapened the death of Jesus Christ is what you just did there. So Jesus has to get back up on the cross and die again for you because you're so bad because his work on the cross was not effective. Are, are, are you saying that, that when you ask Christ into your heart and you receive salvation in your heart, that you weren't a part of the, the, the family of God, that you weren't born into God's family? For my kids, my kids are always going to be my kids. Well, they said some really bad things about you and they rejected you as their dad and they, they, they're still my children. At what point do they not become my children? A child that's born into a family is a child, whether they think they are or not, whether they're angry, whether there's a family blow up or not, they're still, the fact is, family. The prodigal son, look at this picture here. The dad who runs out to, 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 to reach out to his son. How bad does that son feel about all the things that that son has done? I, dad, I just, you know, I don't even, I don't even count me as part of your family. I'm just, uh, I just make me a servant. I'll just, you know, scrub the floors. I'll just kind of do the lowest job. The dad's like, come here. You've never not been my son. 
If you're saved, you are saved. Stop getting saved again and again and again and again ad nauseum. Here's why. Because you're getting stuck on the early steps and you're not growing in your walk with the Lord. If every time you sin, you start to go, oh no, and you start to question your salvation every single time you sin, it would be like <clears throat> coming back home and being like, hey, so uh, listen, I, uh, I was wondering if I'm still part of the family, if I'm, if I'm like still, you're my son. Oh, okay, all right, thanks, dad. The next day. Dad, I, I, not dad, um, sir, I'm just wondering, am I, am I still part of the family? We talked about this yesterday. You're still my son. I did something really, 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 really bad. You're still my son. <laughs> Jesus died once and for all for your sins. Please don't take this the wrong way, but there's a level of immaturity when it comes to understanding salvation if you keep asking God for salvation every time you sin. You know what you need to be asking God for? You need to be asking him for forgiveness with a humble heart. But you shouldn't keep asking him, Dad, Jesus, you know, Father, am I still, are you still really my father? Was Jesus' death on the cross effective for you? Here's the other problem with this idea of just asking for salvation again and again and again and again and again and again. Is for some, it's their ticket to sin, to keep sinning. Well, I'm just, here's what I got going on in my mind. I'm just going to sin and I know it's really bad and I shouldn't be doing it, but I'm going to do it. But it's okay because then I'm just going to get saved next Sunday. Wow, you're just absolutely just spitting on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Like you're just using it for your own selfish gain. Now, a person can be in lots of different places here, but I just want you to consider this because this pastor has seen this increasing a little bit more over the last year or so. Where people just keep raising their hand. It's like, listen, which that's not bad. Like a person accepting Christ is a good thing. It's when it's the same people doing it again and again and again and again and again. If you're in the family, you're in the family. If you're sinning, ask God for forgiveness. Humble yourself. And here's what you also need to ask God. Ask God to change your heart so that you hate sin. So that you hate the thing that you're doing. But stop asking him over and over again if he's your dad. Are you still my dad? Are you still my dad? Am I still your son? Am I still your daughter? Am I still in the family? Am I still in the family? Am I... Yes, you're in the family. You're in the family. And I want, I want you to see these verses here because I think this is so important for us to see these verses. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the spirit. He suffered how many times for our sins? Once once you know here's a verse in hebrews 9 24 through 28 for christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of true things but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god on our behalf nor was it to offer himself repeatedly jesus wasn't there to die over and over and over and over again as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own for then he would have to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. That's just stating that if Jesus had to die every time we sinned, he'd be dying over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But it says right here, but as it is, he has appeared, look at that, once for all. At the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And just as is it, as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered, here's the word again, once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is why when we have communion, if you come from a Roman Catholic background, um, in Roman Catholicism, there's this phrase, it's called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation, trans being a change, substantiation, substance. In Roman Catholic doctrine, the belief is that the bread becomes the body of Jesus Christ, the literal body of Jesus Christ. Even though it doesn't look like, feel like, or taste like flesh, the belief for Roman Catholicism is that it becomes his body and that the, the juice, the wine, excuse me, becomes the literal blood of Jesus. Even though it doesn't taste like, look like, smell like blood. This is also why in, in Roman Catholic churches too, when you see a cross, you typically see that cross occupied. We need to understand this. The cross is empty. The only time that we would see Jesus on a cross is to remember that time when he hung on the cross. That's one time in human history he hung on the cross. Is Jesus still hanging on the cross now? No, he is not hanging on the cross now. He died how many times? Once for all. The cross is empty. And so when we, we serve communion and we remember the Lord's Supper, those things are symbolic of his body and they're symbolic of his blood. Because the idea of it to become his body and blood again, you know what that means? That means Jesus is dying again and again and again. And at the verses just we read here, Jesus died once and for all. When I was a youth leader, we would have, we would call it um, the annual youth camp rededication. We would see kids year after year after year rededicate their lives to Jesus. And at one year at, at summer camp, we said, hey, listen, guys, First day of camp, check this out. No more rededications. Knock it off. Because you're just doing it over and over and over again. You just need to walk straight with God. Stop going, you know what? I've messed up and so I just need to rededicate one more time. You're in the family already. Stop it. Just start walking straight with God and ask him to change your heart. Because what happens is, a child that has that process of I just need to keep rededicating might end up becoming an adult that just goes, I got to get saved again and again and again and again. And so they get no forward progress in their walk with Jesus. They're still stuck on, am I part of the family? So should you ever ask yourself if you're part of the family? Oh, you definitely should. I'm just saying you shouldn't get stuck on it. If my kids asked me every single day if they were still my children, I'd be like, is something wrong? Is something, do you not, how do you not know that you're part of the family? How do you not, how do you not realize that? And so church, um, it was a short parable today as we talked about the dragnet. And as you're here at church and you've heard the gospel and you're in the net, maybe today you ask yourself, am I part of the family of God? And you'll know if you're a part of the family of God. It's not something that's going to be like, oh, I'm not sure if I am or not. You'll know if you are. And if you're asking yourself the question, if you're part of the family of God, keep this in mind. At the Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, Judas had already left. He, he, had, he was, he was going to be leaving here at that point. Of the, the ones that were asking, they were all those that were in the family. The ones that were asking, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Is it me? 
I notice this is interesting. All of those that were asking, hey, am I the one that's going to betray you? They were all the ones that were in the family. They were actually concerned about their relationship with God. So if you're concerned about your relationship with God, odds are you're a believer. If you don't ever remember asking Christ into your heart, then you should pray a prayer of salvation. If you have asked Christ into your heart, but you're just sinning, ask God to change your heart. Okay. So worship team's going to come on up here. They're going to lead us in a closing song. One last verse here. Because God wants you, Christian, to have the assurance of your salvation. He wants you to be assured that you're part of the family. In Romans 8, verse 16 and 17, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And if children, then heirs. Means you got an inheritance. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him, we die to ourselves, in order that we might be glorified with him, that we live with him forever. So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I pray that as we looked at this parable about the dragnet, it may bring up more questions. It may cause us to examine ourselves if we haven't done it before. But Lord, I pray for that balance that only comes through you. I pray, Lord, that we would examine ourselves and be honest. Do we continually ask for salvation from you over and over and over again because we have a mistaken concept of how effective you were on the cross, Jesus? Do we think we've sinned so badly that we've somehow fallen out of your powerful and mighty hand? I pray that we would, yes, consider our salvation, but I pray that we wouldn't dwell on asking you over and over and over again if we're part of your family. All of that said, Father, I pray for the unbeliever. I pray for the one who has never examined their relationship with you, who thinks they're fine based on their own works and merit, who believes they've followed enough rules to tip some imaginary scale. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to the truth, that they would be humbled before you, they would see you, Jesus, high and lifted up, and they would realize that there's no work they can do that would pay or cover their sin, only the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are the light, and we pray that your light would shine Jesus, you called us the light of the world. We pray that as your light is reflected through us, we would shine as well through this whole world. God, help us to be a part of that net that's being used to capture more people for Christ. Right here in Humboldt County, Lord, we ask that, we just pray that every corner of this county would absolutely be covered by the net. And Lord, I know that some of those people will be, will be caught up as people in this room share the truth of God's word with them. Father, we thank you so much for being our dad and thank you that we were prodigals, but you ran out to meet us and embrace us and to remind us that we are your children. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.